Hi, I am Nicole J. Georges. I am a queer, feminist, vegan cartoonist, teacher, and advice columnist living in Portland, Oregon with my half-blind chihuahua, Ponyo Georges. <coughs> Welcome to our podcast, Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the Today on Sagittarian Matters, an episode full of lesbians. Beth Ditto and I discuss hotel fruit. Lexiconographer Stevie Ann dives deep into queer language and reads us definitions from the lesbian lexicon. And cartoonist Jennifer Camper and I disagree about mermaid sex. Stay tuned. Hotel fruit. That's Hello, welcome to today's, today's hotel fruit. Uh, you had something extraordinary yesterday, which is that you picked up a red delicious apple from the Chateau Marmont, and you took a big whole bite. I, I ate the whole thing. And what, what did you think of that? It was red. Meh. <laughs> if I had to name that apple again, I would call it red. Meh. <laughs> uh, one to ten. One to ten, I'm just in the streets like at the grocery store from 1 to 10 what, how would you rate this no honey crisp there's no honey crisp I would like to say for one I think it should be illegal to call it red delicious because it's not delicious at all they should call it red meh they really should call it something like that like red huh. <laughs> and, all right. red I was hungry <laughs> it should be called red is your blood sugar low <laughs> I got red like it. I guess it's technically food yeah <laughs> I think they should red. call it that apple should be called technically food yeah it should <laughs> TF. Not to be confused with Titty Club. No, no. Also, on, today on Hotel Fruit. Today on Hotel oh, Fruit. Oh, you know what? Here's a good part for the segment of Hotel Fruit. Mm. Last night, the bar, the Shat Mart, mm. I got five olives <laughs> for free. Felt like I had a salad. Five olives? Five. I didn't realize you were living large like that. Well, I'm just trying to say Hotel Fruit. Hotel fruit. Bam, 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 bam. Oh, that's good. That's the same song. Okay, but wait. If you judge that that red eh, apple against other hotel fruit, would you give it out of ten? Any. This is my hang-up. You're the Chateau Marmont. You're giving me a red delicious... That's the like, Red Delicious is what my mom used to buy in a bag. That's a holiday and shit. Like, that's not even, like, that's like food stamps and wick. <laughs> like, that's what my mom used to buy in a bag. <laughs> like, that because it was like a dollar for like 50 of them. <laughs> and the Shat Mart gave us red fucking, you know what it was? I was triggered. You were triggered. I was triggered by the red delicious. When you look at this trigger warning, when you look at this bowl, I want to tell you there's trigger warning attached. Yeah, nobody told me. I just walk in there like that. Why don't you walk in here? And then you get slapped in the face with that red delicious. Yeah, and then I got attacked by that red delicious. And then, then I'd also like to say my rap name was Red Delicious. Your what? Your rap name? Yeah. Wait, and now we're at the Roosevelt. Because I'm mediocre. Because your rapping is... Uh, I honestly uh, cannot believe red me. I can't believe they call it that. I think they had to call it that because otherwise no one would ever even pick it up. <laughs> red had, and weird. Yeah, if they called it what it was, nobody would ever want it. Where the red delicious grows. Um, but now we're at the Roosevelt, and they had some clementines at the desk. And when I checked in, I was so hungry... That they taste like the best thing in the world. This happened to me the other day. See, I was fooled. Maybe you're, they were meant to be eaten in the lobby. Maybe they lose their powers once they're taken in a room. I took two uh-huh. and thought this can't be. Ate the first one. Yeah. It tastes like orange juice that had ice in it. Mm. And the ice melted. That's mm. what it tastes like. Mm. And I expect more from a California fruit. 
Since we're in California. Yeah, like they literally are just falling off trees on side. On side. They probably they send picked the bellman it up, out. Off, a, off a sidewalk here. They just send the bellman out with a basket every morning and say, whatever you find in the neighborhood. Farm to table. Farm neighborhood to table. Yeah. Or they're like, just go shake the neighbor's tree. It's fine. We'll bail you out. They're like, go to Warren Beatty's tree. Go to Warren Beatty's tree to shake, shake it. Shake the fine. shit out of that thing and see what we can get today. If it was Warren Beatty's tree, that would make sense. And they tasted the so weird. They tasted so sad and deleted. I gave the Clementine a 4 or a 6 out of 10. I thought they were adequate. Not I'm giving superior. it a 3 at the most. Whoa. Wow. I mean, we are in Southern California. You give me this. You can give me this. You give me grief. I give you gold. You give me grief. I just remembered I had a dream that Leonard Nimoy was driving next to whoever was the main character in the movie that was my dream. And we got to a stoplight and Leonard Nimoy was like, hey, roll down your window. Did you feel a Vulcan presence this whole time? Because I was driving right next to you. You think that when he gives a gift, he's like, did you feel a Vulcan presence? <laughs> Giving Vulcan presence. <laughs> Stevie Ann is a feisty Gemini who I met in Portland, Oregon. She is also the creator of The Lesbian Lexicon, a collection of words harvested from and created for our community. The Lexicon has been published as a series of zines and a book from Pegacorn Press. I spoke with Stevie from my perch in Virginia while she was in between acupuncture clients in San Francisco through the magic of the internet. I want to say that Stevie was once a contributor to a zine I put out called Game or No Game, which was a quiz, but actually was full of stories of bad first date moves. Example, someone puts their hand on your underwear directly after picking their nose. Game or no game? We got in trouble for that zine, so it is no longer in print, but I wanted to tell you about it anyway. Anyway, please enjoy my interview with hilarious, gregarious Stevie Ann and learn some new words from the lexicon. Stevie Ann, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Hi, thanks. It's fun being here. It's so fun. I'm talking to you from Richmond, Virginia, and you're in Oakland? I'm in San Francisco. In San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, and what do you do there? I'm an acupuncturist. Oh, cool. By day, by day. What do you do by night? I'm a lexiconographer by night. Oh, I was going to call it's... you a, a wordstress, but I think a lexiconographer uh, is much better. I think that I'm obviously a wordsmith. Uh, what'd you say? A wordstress? Wordstress? But you're yeah, also a Gemini. Is that true? I'm all... Yeah, but Nicole, I'm a Sagittarius rising. Too. You are? Yeah. Whoa. I just wanted to suck up right away. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. How does it feel to have a Sagittarius rising? How does that affect your life? Do you feel it? Oh, I totally feel it. I feel like, um, what's the, I don't actually know what a, a Sagittarius is are known for. Aristocratic, snobby. Um, oh, are they snobby? Fiery. Fiery. I don't know. Fiery. Sagittarius and... likes to have a good time. Mm -hmm. Like in high school, when I would look up a Sagittarius in the horoscopes of like a teen magazine, it was always somebody dressed for sports, looking aggressive huh. and competitive. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm, they love I did, travel. I was on the, they love travel. Yeah. I do too. And I was on the rugby team a little bit. Oh my so God. I feel, like, I feel like it fits me. <laughs> so you created <laughs> the lesbian lexicon. It's true. How old is it? 10 years old? When is it? I think it is a, almost 10 years old. Yeah. I think 2007 was the first run, and 2009 was the second run, and then last year, 2015, was the third run. Is, so... Is it out of print? Are, those, what's that? Is it out of print now? It is almost completely out of print. I think that um, we... So the last run was... Or I should call them editions, actually. They're three different editions. And uh, the first edition I made, I don't know, 15, mm -hmm. 30. The second one I made maybe 100. And then the third one, there was 1,000. And I split that between me and my publisher. And I had 500. And they're, I'm down to 
20. Wow. And so, your publisher was Peg- Pegacorn Press? That's right. Yeah, Pegacorn. Caroline Paquita? Yeah. Caroline Paquita helped me um, put it out. She did a really good job. They're really beautiful. They're so beautiful. That's the problem with the lexicon is it can never mm-hmm. stay in print because it's so I, popular. And I never, I don't really know how much to make. I'm not really, um, for me, this is like a joke gone wild. So it's, I'm not making zines all the time and have a really good idea of how many will, will float out into the world. So a thousand seemed really, really ambitious when we first, when we settled on it. I think we're done. They're gone. I, well, I was just looking on her website the other day to see if I could find more. I was reading somebody definitions that I was finding on the internet, like on Instagram, or I tried like looking on Facebook. I tried to look everywhere mm-hmm. and see where people had taken pictures of your lexicon so I could read someone definitions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'll look on like, I bet there's an Etsy listing for it on the Pegacorn Press Etsy. <clears throat> and then I looked and it totally wasn't even on there because she's probably sold out. Oh, wow. But I, used I think to, they're just gone. Sometimes I would sell the lesbian lexicon at tables at the zine symposium or something, and they were swiped up yes. like immediately. They were, they're like a hot cake. Yeah. It's like I was serving a hot cake. <laughs> Little tiny hot cakes. Um, I, I think it's interesting that the lexicon has had to change because some things that mm-hmm. were common gay parlance in 2007 mm-hmm. or 2006 at the time when probably these words were submitted or you collected them are now out of out of uh, circulation yeah they are right because language like 10 years in gay gay speech means that everything changes really quick and then I like so you addressed that in the new edition yeah so in the back of the new edition so I had a choice when I was doing the third edition the third edition, which was like, what do I do with these words that don't have a place anymore? Words like um, bio queen or um, bio dude or tranny hopper. These words that now have would can't just go on. They can't go unnoticed because language around um, gender has has changed so much. So what I did was in the back is I created a little. Um, what do I call it? A term graveyard. Because I didn't want to ignore the fact that these were words used, but I want to address the fact that they've changed their place in our um, in our little gay world now. So, and it's also like um, it's also not even to suggest that the words are actually really dead. For some of them, I just say like you should, if you're going to use these words, know you should know who you are. Who, who it is who's speaking them and to whom is being spoken to. Because I think audience really matters. And for example, you know, tranny hopper, um, which is defined as a hobo of the genders, a trans person who sports train hopping fashion and who may also actually hop trains, or a person who dates a trans, per- trans person after trans person, a term of endearment for some queers and a slur to others. So the definition itself was ex- expanded upon from its original, which was just someone who dates a uh, trans person after trans person after trans person. Um, and so the, the, the question was, uh, is it good enough to change the definition and let it stand alone? Or does it also need a little section to be like, here's some words you should think about. Mm-hmm. And, so my my troubleshooting was to create a section that's like here's some words you should think about mm-hmm. um, in this special little special little place. So cool. I yeah. I mean it's so weird because you know when you wrote it, all those words were put in there with love. All those words were said with love. All of it is like joking about a community which we are part of, and it's mm-hmm. a weird thing to think about the lexicon going into the wrong hands. And then people that yeah. kind of don't understand that and are not yep. like part of the family trying to use those terms. It's like, it's like calling your mom a nickname and then somebody else hearing you and being like, oh, can I, can I call your mom? And you're like, no. Oh, God. Yeah. You can't talk to my mom like that. No. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there is a bit of that. I mean, I still feel like this lexicon is in the hands of people who, I, you know, I, I can't be sure, but. Yeah, there's the responsibility to make sure that the, the we're not handing people 
sharp objects with which to poke us with. <laughs> oh, I think that's such a wise thing to say. Yeah. Like as uh, a gay a gay person, you're like, here you go. Here's some more yeah. tools for you. Yeah, exactly. But um yeah, but also it's important not to ignore the evolution of language, right? Like we use these words. And the word bio is a word that was that is how we differentiated cis, you know, what we now call cisgendered. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and the lexicon's also just like it's a it's also like not a heavy duty um rule book or anything. It's a it's a joke and it's fun and it's like a I don't know. I love so it. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, write, like, a 10-page essay about, you know, gender is like, hell no. I'm going to make this little graveyard. I'm going to do the best that I can to keep it fun, keep it light, acknowledge how things change. And it's a, so in that way, it's just a record of language. Cool. Well, let's, let's read some definitions. So I know, so related to that um, is, would be, to me, you can tell me what you think the most famous word from it is, but to me... The most famous word from it, or the most successful word, is doppelbanger. It is. I agree. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Could you read the definition of what a doppelbanger is? Yeah, let me find it. Let me pretend I don't know, and I can't okay. say right. <laughs> um, okay. Doppelbanger, noun. One who prefers to fuck people who have an uncanny resemblance to themselves. I think that's really... Yeah. It's just, I feel, I feel like that's the most, like when I tell people about the lexicon and then I use that as my example word, they know it yeah. immediately. It's a perfect word. It's a perfect word. And this is why, because <laughs> it sounds, it perfectly explains what it is it means. Mm -hmm. And both with the word itself and the phenomenon. Yeah. We all know that it happens. And then the yep. antonym of that is other fucker. Oh, yeah. Which is someone who only fucks people of opposite gender type or people that look dissimilar to them? Is that what it is? I think it's I think it's dissimilar. Let me look. Or opposite gender type. Yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit vague, right? Because you can be I've seen some doppelbangers, some like butch femme doppelbangers, right? Oh, yeah. But I mean, we know we know how vain we all are, but. I think other fuckers specifically about wanting to have sex with someone as different looking from you as mm. possible. That might be about gender. It might be about you're, you're a blonde who dates redheads or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What, I want to tell you that my other ones that are my favorites that I use. Voice <coughs> acting I use a uh -huh. lot. And people don't always know what it means. So outside uh -huh. of Portland. In Portland, a lot of the lexicon words have like they're just in the community. So I can say uh -oh. these words that seem kind of very specific and people know. So like boy facting would be like, I think the definition is to back up one's asinine beliefs with like basically fake information so that you yep. look like, you know what you're talking about and you look like you're right. So it's basically somebody has a question and instead of you just saying, I don't know the answer, you're like, uh, <clears throat> yeah, actually, uh, the ca a car does have three wheels in like, <laughs> most countries. So actually, yeah, boy facting is a, you know, a commitment to being right at any cost. Even if you don't know what in the world you're talking about. No, but you should definitely use some statistics but to it, make them. It's kind of the cousin to mansplaining, but it's without any actual information. Exactly. Exactly. I actually heard boy facting before mansplain 10 years ago. Me um, too. Yeah, boy facting came along, but it has, like, in my mind, done exactly what you said, is, like, have a little divergence between maybe a man splinter might, it might accidentally hit on some actual information, but boy facting is just, like, you're making all that up. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think are the words that have, that have, like, gotten the most ground or that you hear other places now? I feel like... Uh, like 10 years ago, bromance wasn't really such a big thing, but that's so long blown up. Like, I can't even remember a world where bromance wasn't in like every other page of Vice magazine or something. Yeah. Not like Vice magazine. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> okay. know, Vice. I meant like online. <laughs> um, right. But like 10 years ago, that was still like a cute little thing. Um, I feel like, uh, People use love jail. Oh, yeah. Will you read the definition of that? Of love jail? Yeah. Sure. 
Love Jail, noun, a special and remote place some couples reside during the first few months to a year after falling in love. A place where in all interest in friends, family, hobbies, employment, the weather and current events is diminished. A place from which it is difficult to return phone calls. I love that yeah. part. Yeah. Who hears from their friends when they're in love? You just don't. And you, it's you just, nice you can tell people. You can be like, I'm in love jail right now, so yeah. you understand. Yeah, everyone knows. What are some other ones? Um, or what are your favorite ones? I think Pronoun Showdown is a really good classic. Oh, yeah, I like, I like that one. Pronoun Showdown. And then um, some. these are all, like, first edition ones, but some of the some of my later ones is um, I like non-monogarithms. What's that? It's, it's, a, it's a complicated emotional calculation used to facilitate a decision about whether or not having a tryst outside of a primary relationship is worth the necessary processing. Oh, my God, I love that. Yeah. Um, wait, will you, can we say what the pronoun showdown definition is? Oh, yeah. That's one yeah. of my favorites. Yeah, okay. So pronoun showdown, noun, a conversation between two people about a third party in which two differing pronouns are pointedly being used by each participant as if in a duel without any acknowledgement of this discrepancy in a subtle battle of who's got the right gender. I love that. Yeah. I you know what I use about other people is STD, sexual attention disorder. That would be ah. that would be a person who you always wonder if they want to have sex with you, but everybody wonders that because yeah. they just they just have sexual mm. tension with every person they interact with. Yeah. So I'll say that I'll be like, "Oh, that person's totally got STD, right? As sexual attention disorder." And people are always like, "Oh." They're like, "Oh my god." Yeah, I am. Um, that word was made for a friend who I know. What's funny about these words is so many of them are uh, used and made up for actual people. Because there's just a bunch of friends talking shit about each other. So there yeah, you go. Like a house wreck would be somebody <laughs> who sleeps with different people who all live in who are housemates. And then it causes the house sometimes to totally collapse. Yeah, everyone's got to move out then. Um, but you know what is a, a, a really great evolution <laughs> STD is... Um, damn, let me see if I can find it. Oh, ETD. Let me find it. Emotionally transmitted infection. What's that? An ETI is also a noun. It's an infection contracted by intimate emotional contact with another person. Transferable phobias, prejudices, <laughs> or case that originate from the life experience of one partner but rub off onto the other when emotional boundaries are not in place oh my that god <laughs> yeah totally. like one one person hates you know electro clash and then all of their friends pretend they they never were into it <laughs> they, it. they won't own up to it anymore i don't know if like that's counts as emotional but you know what i mean do you wait? Somebody told me that they wanted. I, I emailed you. Somebody was like, "Please tell me, is there a word for when couples start talking like each other? When couples pick up each other's accents or phrases or manners of speaking?" We don't have one yet. We need one. People Ask need, everyone. Yeah, people need to write that in. Yeah, I mean, what we do have right now is twinning, which is you know when you just start completely looking like your partner. Or your best friend. I think you can. it can also be a best friend thing. But I don't have anything for, like, yeah, the mannerisms. Wait, do I? Here's the thing. I'll be honest. I can't keep track of all of these words. That's a lot of words. There's, there's a lot. I think uh, I kind of don't even know how many there are. Do you have other favorite words or favorite new words? There's about 300. Um, yeah, I got some good new ones. I like selective emotional intelligence. What's that? It's the possession of emotional intelligence and the ability to sec selectively ignore any situation that might require it when it's not convenient. Mm. You know, it's like shorthand for like they can do better, but they're not. Yeah. yeah. They actually know they're hurting your feelings and they're doing it because it's totally the easier way to go. <laughs> <laughs> so That seems like the cousin to the whatever the fuck I want gummy which is like right. non-monogamy except for it's just the person's using that as a way to do whatever they want yeah they're like this isn't really like this isn't about agreements this is like I do what I want yeah <laughs> we call it non-monogamy but we both know that 
one person's just totally doing what they want here. Uh, <laughs> what's some other good ones? Um, there, okay, Frenemy was in there. Frenemy also then got picked up by Sex in the City. Not to say that they were reading the lesbian lexicon. That was your word. You Did I did give you that you, word? You gave me that. I liked that word. Yeah, because I can remember a lot of the words I can't remember who submitted them. I have them all written down, but I really think that you submitted that word. Yeah. Sex in the City, man. You're welcome. You're welcome, Sex in the City. Oh, there's also like topping from the bottom, which is a self-explanatory expression. Yeah, it is. Oh, you know what? You gave me Fun Comfortable. Oh, I did? That's what you gave me. Because I yeah. think of Fun Comfortable all the time, and then I think, oh, God bless the lexicon for having a word to describe this phenomena. Will you read that definition? Yeah. Listen, I don't know. I could look back in the That's archives. Fun. but I'll take credit for, for all the words if you want. For the purpose of this interview, yeah. you made this amazing word. <laughs> Whatever right. the best word you like, it I, that was my... Opinion. Yeah, yeah, that, Nicole did that. All right, feel uncomfortable, adjective, social activities shared between two people, wherein one-sided or mutually awkward feelings are felt, but remain unexpressed for the purpose of social ease or saving face. Yeah. And then, wait, and then near fun comfortable is friendly fire, which is when you have unexpected sexual tension with an otherwise platonic friend totally friendly fire yeah. where sometimes you're just like what what the hell i, I want to fuck you now <laughs> but just for the second <laughs> just for right now um there's also words that uh reflect um you know so the lexicon came out before social media what was happening in 2007 was it myspace yeah yeah like and MySpace I was, verging on Facebook, like some of like some people were jumping to Facebook. Okay, yeah, I had I, it would take me another two years to hear about Facebook, but at, in 2007 I was too punk for MySpace. I was still getting my information from my landline at my punk house, like from the whiteboard <laughs> that was next to the telephone in the kitchen of your punk house. Oh, yeah. But someone could write, no. Stevie, somebody called. Yeah, no, that we had an actual chalkboard, Nicole. Oh, that's nice. It's, is there a whiteboard there now? Oh, I know. I don't know. I was just imagining from uh, punk houses I've lived in. Yeah. Man, 19th Street sold out, if that's true. Chocolate's um, but... actually more punk. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite ones from this generation is Fumbler. It's like when, you're, when your crush on someone is demolished upon contact with their internet presence. <gasps> oh. What kind, yeah. I wonder what kind of things could sabotage. I actually have a real... Uh, real anecdote that is where the word fumbler was used and it was when my friend was dating someone who she thought was super hot and then finally beca they became like internet friends and realized that this her crush talked to her friends on the internet only in lols cats just strictly mm -mm. and that was it that was and it. it they did date it didn't you know <laughs> didn't go well <laughs> And we all know that it started with the Lols cats. Oh, um, Femstash is in Let's there. Talk. Yeah, Femstash. That's when Fems have mustaches. That's like me. I got it. Yeah, the the lexicon is just entirely biased. So I define it as a mustache belonging to a fem, semicolon, always sexy and should be encouraged. There's <laughs> <laughs> literally nothing neutral about this whole damn thing it's just that's what i like about it it's just opinions it's just many opinions <laughs> it's just a list of all your opinions yeah always sexy should be encouraged <laughs> <laughs> well as somebody with a fem stash i really appreciated that definition yeah 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 i think that's what i like about zines and i was i was just giving a talk to a class about zines last night but i like that they don't pretend to be objective mm -hmm. that instead of like like the media where you're trying to read between the lines and be like, what's their angle? Mm -hmm. You don't have to guess at it. You're just like, oh. Yeah, this is the opinion. <laughs> this yeah. person has a fem stash and they're very unsupportive. <laughs> everyone having it. Yeah, yeah. That, I take full advantage of that. I think it's, um, you know, part of the process of culling words is um, it's like very highly edited. Words don't get in this all the time. How often do you get words? from other people well um i feel like at least 
two or three times a month, I get a word in my inbox or someone texts me something or someone is asking me if there is a word for something. Mm-hmm. So pretty much by all, by all routes of technology these days, the email, the direct message, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the text, the Facebook messenger, oh, it's, it's a terrible yeah. thing to keep track of, but, um, oh, uh, sorry. I just flipped on another one of your contributions. Lose your turn. Oh, I, well, okay. Cause so somebody said to me in Portland, you don't lose your girlfriend. You just lose your turn. I know. It's so wise. It was so wise and real. So then you used lose your turn. Yeah. In the lexicon. What is the definition for that? I said, um, verb to break up with someone in a town that has a high turnover rate of sweethearts to lose your seat in the dating game of gay musical chairs. Right. It's true. It's just like, well, I guess it was their turn. I guess it was their time. Like when you see people together, you're like, yeah, yeah, I guess. Or like what I'm looking for now is that thing when someone's just been in the same town for so long, like the most unlikely combinations begin to emerge because you're in a certain age bracket, maybe like you can't date the 23 year old because you might be 43 or like you could, but you're kind of like sniffing around for people who are your age and maybe it's just makes for, you know, odd bedfellows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're like, just, they're like, why not? You know, I never thought of trying this out, but like, we're both still here. We've not talked to each other at parties for 15 years, but let's enter an intimate relationship immediately. So you need a word for that? Yeah. Put it out there. I'm looking for that word. Okay. Is there anything else that you're looking for a word for? Oh, boycation is in there, which is when like a lesbian needs a break and then goes and humps a dude. And then generally, sometimes it reaffirms that they are, in fact, a homosexual. Right. And it should be noted a cis dude. Oh, yeah, cis dude. Um, yeah, that happens. I try, but I'm, I fail miserably at my latent pansexuality. I'm all like, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to... What? Whoever, what? Whoever, I'm just going to... Yeah, you, bro. And I'm like, mm-mm, I'm terrible <laughs> at that. It never happens. <laughs> Somebody was asking me this question... How long after hooking up with someone do you have to keep following them on social media? Like, if you don't like them anymore? Oh. If you don't like them anymore, but you follow them on, like, Twitter or Instagram or something? Yeah. At what point can you just stop following them without it seeming and having it just be understood? I don't know. I don't use Twitter. And, um... In terms of Instagram, I would love to know that question just in general, you know, outside of hookups. Like, what if I don't want to see, um, like, your food every single day and every single meal? Yeah. What do you do? Because you really like that person, but that's so annoying and it's not like you get an option to, I don't know. These are important questions that I hope the lexicon can help answer. Well, you know, on Twitter, you can mute people, which is really helpful because, like, Say that you want to have a professional connection with somebody, but they tweet too much. And you're like, you right. know, if I want to see this, I'll just go to your page. I don't need it to be in my feed. <clears> so you <throat> can mute them. So it's like, we're still friends. I just can't hear you all the time. I wish that Instagram yep. had that so you could connect with somebody. We're friends. But, like, maybe you, like, don't want to see my dog every day or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's more of an advice question, I guess. Yeah, that's a great advice question. I have no answer. I have no even idea. I'm fumbling on that question right now. If you have if you have a definitive time frame in mind, please, please call in Sagittarian Matters. Yeah, good. Maybe enough time so that it actually, it wouldn't feel pointed. It's not like five minutes after you have your like, I'm not going to have sex with you again coffee. Yeah. Oh, you have coffee yeah. for that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No one does that anymore. I'm so old-fashioned. People just, they ghost. They don't even have they coffee. Ghost. They don't even, they just ghost. I, I remember in like 2005 or six, I went to visit my friend and he told me a tale about some people he knew and the guy broke up with her via text and it was the most scandalous thing I had ever heard. I was like, via text? Are you kidding? 
And now... Yeah, now it's like a paragon of respectability. <laughs> it's like, you can do anything over text. You can tell someone that, like, someone died. You can, like, you can, you know, propose to someone over text. You, you can do whatever. You send them the, ring emo- the wedding ring emoji? Yeah, you just cut right to it. The bridal? <laughs> Question mark? Yeah. <laughs> and then that's it. All right, will you read a couple more of your favorite definitions? All right, all right, all right. Let me really make this good. Okay. By the way, I like using the word ghosting. Like, sometimes my mom doesn't text me back, and I'm like, I think my mom's ghosting me right now. Oh, yeah. It's fun. So rude. That's what happens when you meet your mom on Grinder. Exactly. <laughs> I was waiting for someone to say Thick, that. Sick fuck. <laughs> um. <laughs> Seeking mommy. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, convolingus, a conversation that takes while eating pussy. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That one's all right. Um, I like, I feel like nervous and high pressure. Oh my God, wait, the claw, which we've talked about at parties before. I, I can't yeah. even tell if I've ever experienced the claw. Will you read the claw? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've learned the science behind the claw in, in the meantime, but I've kept it in as a something that couldn't be defined by science because I like the mythology of it. All right, claw now in a strange phenomena of temporary hand paralysis, the uncontrollable <clears throat> curling of one's hands while getting fucked during intense sex. So when you talked about the definition of that, it was like not just that your hands were curling during sex, but that your hand was stuck like that. After yeah. sex, like the monkey's paw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like one one or both hand kind of curls up. I have had sex with a few people who have this issue and I think it's a hyper it's like a hyperventilation response. Oh. It's really heavy and you get this muscle contraction. Yeah. And people get confused. They think it's the person using their hand for the fucking, but it's usually the recipient. Oh yeah. It's definitely the recipient. Like that's oh, okay. called a hand cramp. Right, like if well, in the lexicon, it's called the claw. Oh, like I just thought if you were no, fucking just... somebody with your hand and then your hand stuck like that, just because your hand's cramped. But I thought it was the recipient who's just clawing the air, and then their hand gets stuck that way. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Nobody can see, but I and... keep putting my hand up in a a claw motion at Stevie. Interlube, a mid-sec break to lube up. I like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like let. Lesbian Esperanto, now in the language of astrology, lesbian mother tongue, believed to be the direct gift from the goddess herself, so that lesbians the world over may communicate through one perfect universal language. Lesbian Esperanto? Yeah. It's basically astrology. Oh, wait, and then there's you know, like fastrology, is what you do when you are courting somebody and then you look up your sun moon and rising signs together to confirm that you're supposed to be together yeah exactly um i like oppp other people's primary partners <gasps> what's that mean that you... other people's primary partner <laughs> <laughs> like are you down with oppp yeah <laughs> yeah you know me <laughs> yeah cool um, so if people want to find you, people want to find the lesbian lexicon, they can follow you on Instagram. Yes. What's your name on Instagram? Lesbian underscore lexicon. And if people want to try and order more, they could probably contact Pegacorn Press. To see if they have any more. Yeah. And then um, the fourth edition, I won't be even up for consideration until probably next year okay and what i'll be doing is um probably trying to publish it myself and get the zines out what i did when it opened last year was i did um because it's a you know a lot of these words are mine but most of them are everyone else's in the world so it felt right to put the money back into something gay and something good so Mm -hmm. In this case, the money from the lexicon, from my portion of it, went to the um, TGIJP, which is the Transgender Intersex um, Justice Project in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And 
So every edition where a profit is made, it'll go to something cool, something gay, something queer. Cool. Whatever the new fancy word is for what we do. Something pan. That's what'll happen. That's something pan and something sexual. <laughs> something pan, something sexy. Well, thanks something for sexy. Thanks for taking time to be on the podcast. Yay, thanks for inviting me, Nicole. I was so tired when I interviewed Jennifer Camper, but she is so wonderful and she sat on a couch at a hotel in New York with me even though we were both totally fried after a weekend of selling comics, talking about comics, and being on panels about comics at the Mocha Arts Fest in New York City. But Jennifer Camper, oh my god! She is the creator of the Queers in Comics Conference. She published one of the first queer anthologies, Juicy Mother, and she's the author of the comics Rude Girls and Dangerous Women and Subgirls. Her work explores lesbian lives, Arab American stories, and more. I was delighted she would sit and talk with me, and I hope you enjoy us talking about mermaid sex and life as a dyke. Jennifer Camper's here. We're in a hotel on a beautiful golden throne of a couch. And we just had tons of comics in our face. Are you a Sagittarius? No, I'm not. What are you? I am against astrology. No, I'm a Capricorn, and I tease about astrology. I have a Capricorn moon and rising sign. I have no idea what that means. It means you're hardworking. Oh. Once somebody in a bitchy, aggressive way said, oh, of course you're a Capricorn. You're totally bitter, melancholy, and traditional. Which were things that she'd associate with Capricorns. But I find the Capricorn to be very um, hardworking. They love rules and routine. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. They yeah. get a lot done. It's surprising that you are a lesbian who doesn't believe in astrology. That's what sets you apart. I guess. I, I, I mean, I, I appreciate it for what it is, but, yeah, I think people stretch it to be, like, whatever they want. So, oh, yeah. yeah, it's like whatever. It's a metaphor that I don't use. What do you use? Um, God, I don't know. I guess I use um, other things. I guess I use art. Mm, yeah, mm, much mm. more. Um, yeah, I think that's where my spirituality comes in, is creating and storytelling. Mm, mm, mm. And looking at stuff. Jennifer Camper, you created the Queers in Comics Festival. And you've been making queer comics for a very long time. <laughs> and you also, most recently... Um, Something that recently happened is the women's comics anthology came out, and you have some comics in there. So not only do you make queer comics, but you've made queer comics that have been published in situations that are not necessarily for queer people. You know, like, like yeah. that they're for all for women, but you're one of the few gay voices yeah, in and, that Yeah, and anthology. I think, you know, we, we all fit in all these different categories. So I'm, I'm female, I'm queer, and I'm mixed race, Lebanese-American. And so, you, you know... You, you get to travel in a lot of different worlds and when you travel in those worlds you bring all the other crap with you so you get to be a woman who's also queer and half Lebanese or you get to be queer who's also female and half Lebanese or you get to be an Arab who eats pussy you know all that stuff and yeah it's fun but it also means you're an outsider and you have to kind of watch everything um, but that's what makes us good writers I think yeah I think your outsiderness is a virtue yeah yeah um, I also realized that you write comics about sex. <laughs> I do. Doesn't everybody? No. I, <laughs> I did that because when I was when I was looking for images in the arts of dykes, I wasn't finding my version of the dyke world. So I, there was a lot of that tickle sex, that really gentle stuff, or. I don't know. It just was not the kind of uh, queer female world that I was used to. So that's why I made those comics, or I still make those kind of comics, because it's like that's a big part of dyke community, dyke world. 
And, um, you know, it, it's really as much as we've made all these advances in having dykes in the arts and media, it's still a very limited picture that is portrayed. Oh, yeah. I have a friend, Eileen Miles, didn't like blue is the warmest color because of the sex. Actually, never mind. I can't even speak to that because I didn't finish watching the movie because I got so grossed out by the way that girl was eating. Well, the movie and the book, off. the movie and the book are two very different things. And I, and and the book was made by a very young lesbian and the movie was made by uh I think straight man. And they're they're, they're not they're two separate things, and that's all I'll say. The book... Um, and, well, I will say one thing. The cartoonist really has nothing to do with the movie. Mm, mm. Did you see the movie? Like The movie was a little boring to me, and then the girl was eating was just disgusting. I just couldn't deal with it, and I turned it off. I, I got a PMS, and I was like, I can't see this like, food <laughs> falling out of your mouth. You um, know, I mean, I'm all for lesbians in films. I'm all for lesbians in books, but I don't necessarily like all of them and they don't all speak to us you know there's a lot of different ways to be a dyke and there's a lot of bad reputation bad representation of dykes out there um so we have to make the ones that are the good ones well i, would, I like the idea of seeing more dyke stories that are not tragic you yeah. know like blue is the warmest colors like and then she killed herself or they'll have to be like then they got caught and everyone disowned them or one of them yeah. went to jail or she lost her kids and like can't it just be that like you were dykes and the climax of the story has nothing to do with the fact that you're gay yeah I just I, I mean that's the kind of stories I like to tell is you know the people are having adventures people are in their lives doing stuff and they're dykes yeah <laughs> I have a question for you I've asked everyone else okay what is it like to date a cartoonist what do you think it is like to date a cartoonist? I think it's a pain in the ass. I would think that, I mean, I just want to say I put my girlfriend on a fucking pedestal. She puts up with so much, and she is so wonderful. And I couldn't do any of the stuff I do without her. And I don't know how straight women are artists, because without having the love of a woman and the support of another woman... I don't know how anybody gets through the day. <laughs> what does it mean to have the support of, or have the love of a woman compared to like the love of a man? Well, I don't know because I don't I don't deal with men on that level. So maybe that's something that I just don't know about. But it seems to me that the support uh, and love of a woman is what makes it makes us able to be artists. Hmm. Or at least for me, anyway, makes it so much easier. What does she do for you? Because she cleans your repair for you? <laughs> no, it's just having that e- emotional safety there that I think as artists you're always vulnerable, you're always, um, you're always in danger emotionally or psychically. Um, and, and part of it is because you're putting yourself out there in a, in a really raw, vulnerable way. And... I don't know. I guess it gives me strength, and it gives me the strength to do all the stuff I do. Hmm. And not to care what other people think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But speaking of that, you wrote an essay about that. Um, You wrote an essay about that. Many years ago, I wrote an essay about how it was really, how do straight women, how can straight women be artists? Because for so long, the way men were artists was because they had women who did everything else, like childcare and housekeeping and all that. And I, I just, I mean, I was sort of facetious, but sort of realistic. I think it's really hard to be a straight woman in this world. I don't know how they do it. It seems kind of unnatural and confusing to me, but that's me. <laughs> <laughs> But here's a question for you. For me. Um, How are you able to do what you do? What what do you think gives you the strength to do it? I don't know. Ponyo? Ponyo the dog is a great a great help to me. I have like a I have a very strong friend community, friend family that I've built for myself in Portland. Are they other artists? 
Yeah, there are artists in different capacities. Generally musicians. Mm -hmm. um, and some cartoonists I am close with. But I think that just my own fucking weird in internal self-soothing babysitter is probably the thing. I don't know. I don't know what keeps me going. It's like part compulsion and it's part that and then it's like I know that my friends have my back in like a familial way. I think, yeah, and then there's just magic. And there's magic. Absolutely. I mean, I've had girlfriends that have been helpful, and I've had girlfriends that have been less helpful. You know, and it, yeah. I don't, and they, I don't know. Yeah. They, they haven't always been, it hasn't always been like, I have a strong woman behind me propping me up. It's like, sometimes they're like. They're tearing you down. Sometimes they're giving me like yeah. some really excellent material for a future comic. <laughs> That's true. By being like a truly horrible, or um, I don't know. Well, maybe it's just because women in general are my passion, so that's what gives me. I don't know. That's what gives the juice to life and makes you want to do it. But you know, talking of this reminds me of this whole. Every panel I've been on recently has brought up the question of what is a feminist and are women feminists today? And there's this weird thing about how women, everyone keeps talking about how women don't want to say that they're feminists now. That's baloney. <clears throat> yeah, and this whole post-feminist world We're not concept. a post-feminist world. Well, it's so silly. And, and then, of course, my idea of feminism is not that women are equal to men, but that women are superior to men. And I don't know. I have a whole different idea of what feminism is. <laughs> but is, how does but that I find that, I guess I find that really, really curious. And I wonder if that's a straight thing. Of course it is, because, like... I, and I think it's less so now that, like, feminism, like, people like Taylor Swift or Beyonce are saying they're feminists. So they're making it safer, even though theirs is a watered-down version or very different probably than yours or possibly mine. Uh, even though theirs is, like, this different marketed version, it's making it safer for women to say that or be open to that idea. But I think, like, who's the per only person that has a problem with feminism is a, a man who is threatened by that in my opinion, and so then, you know, women that have to be around men a lot are like, oh, well, I, I'm not, I don't want to threaten them or make them think that I don't like them, but it's just speaking up for your own self-interest, your own best interest. It's just... Yeah. Like, it doesn't mean that you have to hate men to be a feminist, but I, I hate that people even have to qualify that. Generally, mm. I resent the idea that I have to qualify, but I don't hate all men, or but I love men. Like, I just, you know, men are fine. They actually, like, I respect them enough to know that they're okay without me, like, powdering their ass every time I speak up for myself. Right, right. <laughs> but I think as right. a straight, if I was a straight woman who cared a little bit more and had to worry about having no male support or romantic partners by saying that, I would, might, I don't know. I wonder if, you know, say a hundred years from now, if gender will stop being so binary and then if there is a spectrum more and more uh, and gender gets more and more blurry what that will do to the this whole discussion. I mean, I don't know, but it would be interesting to see. That would be interesting to see. Yeah. I have great hopes for the future, but I think we'll all be underwater. Oh, God. You mean like how the water's rising in Florida? Yeah, I mean, if climate change goes on like this, then that's all right if the human race ends. I mean, I don't care. I hope it doesn't. I'll climb a tree so it doesn't end. Something else might come along better. Something better. The dinosaurs didn't last that long, and they were bigger than us. Hmm. Hmm. I see. Yeah. I would adapt to be a fish person. Um, with the Maybe we could have more mermaids if we're all underwater. Everyone I would want like to be that. Dan Darcy? Yeah. I could totally get into a mermaid world. I don't know. I think it would be really hard for me to learn to breathe uh, without my... Well, you'd evolve. Mm. It would just happen. God, it seems like a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> you'd have to live like 500,000 years. We're going to have great years. doctors. Um, and then there's that great Bette Midler um, mermaid quote. The question before us is, where's her clitoris? I don't know that, that Bette Midler quote. Well, I, I think a lot about mermaid sex, and it's something you have to think about. Yeah, it's... I guess I just imagine mermaids, it wouldn't be dry because they're in the water, but dry humping. Wow. Because no, I can't they imagine. They not dry really, hump at all. They would just, I feel like they would just hump on each other because they don't have any <laughs> extruding things that I can see. Or 
I think they have them. They're just hidden. Really? Yeah. You know those mermaids are getting it on all the time. I guess I don't even understand how fish have sex, or I don't know well, we fish. need We need to do some research. <laughs> a little bit. Could somebody please write in and tell me how I'm going to get a grant sex? to research mermaid sex. That seems fine. Hey, and this is totally off topic of that, but in the panel you were just on, the idea of proficiency came up. Um, the person who was moderating the panel was talking about how in the women's comics anthology, um, Trina Robbins let basically almost anybody at first who wanted to submit, submit. And so there was a kind of uneven quality of, of art in there. But then someone was saying that, you know, the idea of proficiency and like this really intense quality of work, it's a very male, like maybe not feminist idea. Well, I think that's, like I said on the panel, I think that's a way that uh, men have used to belittle women who are trying to get into fields where it's all male. So, you know, they talk about women artists not being good enough or music, women musicians not having the chops. And you look at, there's tons of beginning male artists who are terrible. I mean, everybody starts out sort of clunky, and then if you do it long enough, you get better. But some don't ever get better. And there's there's all kinds of men who, who don't have the chops, but, you know... They don't get belittled in that same way. I think it's a way to to uh, judge women. Um, and, you know, who's to say what good cartooning is? Cartooning is so elastic. I mean, look at the, the st- styles of art that are out there, from really crude, simplistic stuff to incredibly detailed, realistic stuff. And, you know, it can all be done well or done poorly. Um, so I don't know who makes that judgment about talent and and proficiency I think is um, in in comics it's just it's either the comics are good or they're bad and we all make that judgment ourselves as readers Yeah, I agree with you what are your tips for up and coming cartoonists or women cartoonists in particular I think with anybody it's like just do it and keep doing it and if you do it long enough, you you know, so many of the cartoonists that started in the 70s and 80s and, and the early um, queer or female cartoonists or people of color, they weren't getting any recognition, any money, any anything. But the ones that kept going eventually had enough work that they, the world was forced to sort of recognize it. And I think you know comics itself was a throwaway art form and it's just because everybody's kept at it and kept pushing the boundaries of what could be done with comics that now suddenly it's like oh look you know academics are taking it seriously publishers are taking it seriously you know capitalism is taking it seriously they realize that yeah there's a there's a huge audience and there's a huge history now of all this work so I guess you just got to do it just keep doing it. What's keep doing it and have fun with it. You know, don't get, like, people get all bent out of shape. If it's not fun, then go do something else. Question, what tools do you use? I pencil with just a plain old pencil. Um, and then I use a light table and Bristol to ink. Mm. So you trace your pencils. <clears throat> I trace my pencils and I use brush and I use dip brush and I use... Um, the Japanese uh, pen brushes and then I use um, different kinds of pens for lettering and small lines I used to use Rapidograph and now I'm playing around with different kinds of microns and some others Hmm. I'm always playing with different kinds of things, whatever works and then I throw it all into digital and I do a lot in Photoshop cool my rapidograph has recently turned on me, so I, I don't. I feel yeah. I feel a little feel a little weird. I've been monogamous for a pretty long time with rapidograph, and now I'm thinking about looking into rot ring. Yeah. See, doing what I, none of those are ours. Oh, um, that's it. Are you allowed to tell us where the next queers and comics conference is? It's going to be in San Francisco. It's going to be in March 2017 at the California College of the Arts. I think the dates are the 9th through the 12th, and there will be a lot more information coming very soon in the next few months.
That's very cool. Uh, wait, I want to say one more thing. I was about to say goodbye to you, but I want to say one more thing. Okay. Which is that, you know, like, like we talk a little bit about how, we're talking a little bit about how, you know, men in comics sometimes are not as, not as groovy to women or are way more judgmental or it feels like we're being judgmental of men in comics. But if you were a guy in comics saying these things, it would be pretty normal. Like it would, like if you were saying that stuff about women in comics. If it was inverse, like, I don't know, like, I mean, like, the fact that everyone still kisses the ass of our crumb. You know, I'm a lesbian, so I don't even have to deal with men in comics. I don't have to deal with men. And I don't even really think about them that much. <laughs> I have some that are my friends, but, you know, that's the advantage of being a dyke. You just, it doesn't matter. I don't even have to deal with it. But do you ever think about it because the comics industry has so many dudes that you need to make nice with them? No, fuck them. I do my own shit. I don't need them. What do we need them for? No, I, I I think the beauty of it is is that you, you don't. I mean, you can just draw a comic and stick it on a refrigerator, and nobody can tell you not to. That's true. I think that's a great note to end on. Thanks for being on Sagittarian Matters. Um, thanks for having a Capricorn on Sagittarian Matters. And Cap- Capricorns are always welcome here. Thanks for coming all the way to New York. I we did love having you here. I love being here. Um, thanks for having me. And thanks for helping me carry my books. Anytime. It was like the song Lean On Me came to life. See, that's what we're here for. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. If you would like advice on a future podcast, call our hotline and leave a message, 971-361-9998. You can even disguise your voice if you'd like. In fact, we insist.